a series this month, and we started last week. We talked about bold faith last week, and uh, as she promised this week, today I'm going to be talking about God's will for our lives, and uh, it's a very, very important topic, and we actually, we love to talk about God's will. It's a powerful aspect of our life that we as followers of Jesus really want to know what God's will is for our life. So, I know you've been standing and sitting and standing and sitting, but we're going to do it one more time. Well, no, we're not. We're going to do it two more times, but uh, if you would, just stand one more time for me, and uh, I'll, I'll try not to have you stand too many more times today, but I just think in honor of reading the Word, it's a good thing to stand before the Lord in His presence. So uh, my text verse today is out of Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17. The Apostle Paul, he says, Be very careful then. Everyone say, Be very careful. Be very How you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Anyone attest to that? Tough days we're in. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't you love being told not to be foolish? That usually makes the, the argument go real well when your spouse says, stop being foolish. You know. But when the Apostle Paul says it, and it's in the Word of God, we, we take it a little more uh, at, his, at what he's trying to say, and we take it to heart. Uh, he's telling us not to be foolish because I think we complicate God's will. And he's telling us here, you don't have to complicate it. We can understand what the Lord's will is. And I hope by the time I'm done today that um, we'll have a better understanding for some of you. And some of you, I believe, is going to set you free in a lot of ways. Because this, this message set me free when the Lord gave it to me years ago. So uh, the title of my message today is, What If God's Will Isn't Complicated? That's a big what if. And I hope we're right that it's not. So would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we love you today. Thank you so much for this great opportunity for all these wonderful people that are here in this place and those watching online. And God, we just ask your blessing on them today, that my words today would be your words, and that, God, that your kingdom would be built in this place today and in our hearts. God, let our hearts be good soil today. We honor you, Jesus. Your name is so wonderful. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. And it's, it's in your name that we pray and we worship and honor you today. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. You can sit down. So when we talk about God's will, it makes everybody's ears perk up uh, because everybody wants to know what God's plan is for their life. Everybody wants to know God's purpose for their life. And I believe that's because God puts that in us. When we, give, when we get saved, when we become Christians, we give our hearts to Jesus, we know that our life is not our own anymore. And so we want to know what God's plan is for us because now our life, doing things our way, isn't the right way. And in our spirit, we know that. And we all want purpose, right? I mean, let's be honest. Everybody wants to have purpose. There, there's nothing more discouraging in life than when you get to your birthday or to Christmas and somebody that loves you says, hey, what do you want for Christmas? And you can't even tell them anything because you have everything you would need, most things that you even want, and don't really have any great needs. And so you can't even tell them what you would want as a present, but yet you can, don't feel any purpose in life or you feel like you're lacking purpose. In life. That's a very discouraging place to be. But what that tells me is that God's will, God's purpose for our life is not about having things. It's not about having more money. It's not about getting our bills paid. It's not about uh, having more friendships and more relationships. It's not even about being in a great church. Now, a great church can help you find your purpose, but that's not what it's about. All those things are okay things, but that's not where our purpose is. Because if it was, the richest people would be the ones with the most purpose. And we know the wealthiest struggle with anxiety and depression more than anybody else. And so we know that that's not where it's at, of course. But we all want to have purpose. You know, uh, uh, the pastor over at Saddleback, Rick Warren, when he uh, wrote his book back in 2002, The Purpose Driven Life, and that book was everywhere. Many of you probably had it, did studies on it. It sold 35 million copies because people want to know their purpose. Everybody wants to know why am I here? It's not enough just to get up in the morning, get through a day, go to bed, get up the next day, do it all over again. We all want purpose in our life. But I think in the church, we've complicated it, what God's will actually is. Paul's even telling us in this verse, he said, don't be foolish. You can understand what the Lord's will is. God wants us to know his will for our life, and we want to know his will for our life. But I think we've come down to sometimes in the church where it's, we feel like there's two different kinds of people. There's those people that 
haven't, that have found God's will for their life, and they've already sold everything they own and given all their money to the poor, and they live in a hut in the Amazon basin somewhere, or, and there's those that haven't found God's will for their life. Now, I'm being extreme here, but I think sometimes we, we think that God's will is that. Like, it's all about like, oh, we just can't have anything. We have to take a vow of poverty, and, and uh, you know, the only people that really find God's will are the missionaries and the pastors. You know, they're the ones that have really stepped into God's purpose for their life. Well, let me tell you, the, the uh, depression rate and anxiety rate among those in ministry is just as high as it is with other people. So it's not just about the vocation. It's not about the location or the job. That's not what gives us our purpose in life. But we so often think we've boiled uh, God's will down to decision-making. Like, oh, what's God's will for me in regards to this? I got this job opportunity, and I need to know what God's will is in that. I've got this, this, uh, I, I got this plan to move to... Somewhere else, somewhere where it's not so stinking hot in the summer. And uh, I want to know, is that God's will for my life? And we've kind of narrowed God's will down to those things. Those are part of God's will, but those in and of themselves are not just what God's will is. In fact, I would argue today that it is so much more than just our decision-making. And we belittle it by making it about our decision-making. And you know, the theories and theologies of how to find God's will are endless. They're endless. And you hear, you, hear it from all, you hear all different ends of the spectrum. It's hard to boil it down to a formula, but you, you got on one end, you got those Christians that would say, oh, God's will, it's unattainable. You can't, you can't find God's will. He doesn't, he doesn't speak to us like that anymore. We just need to pray. We got his Bible. We got the word. That's all we need, and we'll just trust him to get through this life, and we just go that way. Or we got the other end of the spectrum that says, oh, yeah, you have to find God's will for your life. You can't make a decision. Don't you move from where you are unless you know God says to go. And you pray, and you ask him for every decision you have to make. And if you make all the right decisions, and you pray enough, God will speak to you and help you make all those decisions, you'll be in his will. And then we got everything in between. And I think, I think the church, our church of America, would probably tend to lean more on that side of like, well, God's will is about you know, finding, getting his advice, his wisdom on every decision we make. And again, that's not a bad thing to seek the Lord on decisions we're going to make. But that does not encompass the will of God for our life. It's a lot more than just those things. And I think what we've done is we have boiled the will of God down, or we have, we've, we've come up with this theory in our head, to some degree, that God's will looks a lot like a roadmap. And you know, the, we don't use, actually use roadmaps anymore. We use our phones, and we type in the destination we want to get to, and we hit go, and what does it show us? It shows us the quickest, smoothest, easiest route to get to where we're going to go. If you type in Atlanta, Georgia, and hit go, it's going to have a straight line on I-20 heading west all the way till you get to Atlanta because that's the safest route. That's the straightest route. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we have also taken the Christian faith and done the same thing. God's will is about getting the right, getting, putting the coordinates in the phone like his will is the destination. In fact, we have a graphic I'm going to have him put up. It's going to show kind of something that we illustrated to, to explain this a little bit. So we look at God's will something like this, like, you are here. This is where you're starting. This is your salvation experience. You've given your life to Jesus. You've become a Christian, and your journey of faith starts, okay? And then the destination is to get to God's will. We want God's will for our life. If I can get to where God's will is for me, that's going to be the, that is the creme de la creme. That's the place I want to be, right? And we've decided that to get there, we've got to figure out the straightest line, the widest road, the straightest line, the smoothest road to get there, and that is what's going to give us our purpose. And now, Although this is not completely inaccurate, because there are aspects of this that are good, this does not, we can't boil down God's will to, okay, I'm Christian, I want to get to God's will, God, how do I get there, get me on the smoothest road? Because we think, like, if you're in God's will, if you find that purpose, and you're in God's will, that's when life's going to be, you know, cotton candy and unicorns, and everything's going to be great, and you're just going to be happy, you're going to get out of bed, you're going to wake up before your alarm clock goes off, and everything's going to be great. And if you miss it, you're going to be on these side streets. You might end up in that roundabout just going in circles forever. Or, and you're going to be miserable, that's for sure, if you get out of his will. You're going to be miserable, and you just hope you don't make enough wrong turns to where you can eventually get back to his will for your life. And that's just, that's just not it, church. That's not it. Like that, that's, that oversimplifies, and it actually uh, it, it puts God in a box that it's got to be this certain way. You know, I've even heard, heard people say, like, you know, there's only one person for you as a spouse. There's one woman for you if you're a man. There's one guy if you're a woman. And the logic behind that is so ridiculous to think that there's just one person out there, that God's will is that you have to find that one person, and if you miss it, you're out of his will. 
That tells me that if one person in all of humanity misses it and marries the wrong person, that means that person they married isn't marrying the right person because they missed their person. So the person they were supposed to marry is marrying the wrong person. And it just snowballs to where every single one of us is marrying the wrong person. It doesn't work. And it's the same way with God's will. It's not like there's this, this one path that we got to go to get where we're going or else we're going to be out of his will or we're going to be missing it. Now, does God have a path for our life? I absolutely believe that, but I don't always believe it's the straightest path. I think sometimes it has some pretty big turns and detours and, and caveats and roundabouts for, an, for a year or two or 10 or if you're Joseph for 13 years. Sometimes that's how it looks. It's not just, okay, God, if I can get your will, I know I'll... Whew, I'll, I'll be on the fast track. I'll be in the HOV, HOV lane, headed that way, not having to pay any tolls. And that's just not who God is. I would, want to, I would want to argue with you today or suggest to you, I don't want to argue. I don't like to argue. That's terrible. Right, Joy? I don't argue. No. I want to suggest to you today that God is more concerned about our journey than the destination. And I'm, I believe I'm going to prove it. Okay? He's more concerned. Now, the destination matters. But he's not as concerned about getting us there as quickly as possible. He's concerned about building us in him on this journey. He is much more concerned about our journey than our destination. And to go there, I'm going to read a verse out of Romans 12. And this verse, you've all heard it. If you've been in church at all, you know this verse. But this verse, when it actually got in my spirit, it changed my life. And it's, it's Paul's letter to the Roman church. In Romans 12, by the way, probably the best book in all the Bible, in my humble opinion. And Romans, the chapter 12, is one of the best chapters in Romans. Verses 1 to 2, look what he says here. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, that word then there is huge. He's saying, do this and then this you will be able to test and approve what god's will is his good pleasing and perfect will you want to know god's will for your life paul gives us a formula here he shows us what we can do now i'm not about breaking the christian faith down into formulas because i think that that, that that's where religion comes from that causes us to be too religious but i believe when when god gives us something this clear it's something that i want to take notice of and i want to apply it to my life and so I'm going to go through these. He gives us three keys here to understanding God's will. I want to give these to you. The first one, he says, is to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Ooh, that's fun. We all love to offer. We all love to sacrifice, don't we? Sacrifice is a great word as long as it's somebody else having to do it for you. Right? And he says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In view of God's mercy and grace and goodness and faithfulness and love and compassion in your life because of all of those things he says offer your body as a living sacrifice to him this is step number one if you want to understand god's will in your life and i'm here to tell you today that the majority of the christian church doesn't ever get past step number one we can't get past it we want to skip over step number one because it's no fun this is the broccoli and cauliflower. We want to skip over and eat the cake and ice cream, right? But who, how many of you know you need the, the broccoli and cauliflower? Well, you don't need cauliflower, but you do need broccoli. <laughs> well, if you put enough ranch on it, it's good, but then you're missing the point. We want to skip over this step and just get to the good stuff. We want God's will for our life without really being willing to say, God, my life is yours. Without being really willing to say, God, I'm, giving my, I'm offering my life as a living sacrifice to you. Because see, here's the thing, church. He tells us to do this not because God's controlling or he's just wanting to have things his way, even though he has the right to do that too. But he's doing this because he knows that the body, although it is a great servant, it is a horrible master. It is the worst master there is. In fact, the body is in direct contrast to God's will for your life. Because the body wants what it wants. The body wants itself. And see, sometimes we get fall into this trap of even wanting God's will for ourselves so that it will make our lives better. Because we think, oh, it'll bless me. Life will be easier. I'll have, I'll have an easier life if I can stay on that white road that goes straight to where my destination is. And so that becomes our motive for even wanting God's will in our life. And God says, no, no, no. His will for our life is about his glory. It's about his purposes being accomplished. Jesus said to pray, 
Our Father in heaven, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. His will, church, not ours. This is not about our purpose being accomplished. It's about his purpose being accomplished in our lives. And that will not happen unless we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Our bodies are not our own. Our lives are not our own. I know I I feel like I say it all the time, but I feel like we need to be reminded daily. Sometimes I need to be reminded every couple hours that my life is not my own. It's not here. I'm not here for me. I'm here for his glory. I'm here for his purpose. I'm here to exalt his name. No one's singing the song, what a wonderful name it is, the name of Reagan. (laughs) I don't think so anyway. If they are, they're talking about Ronald Reagan, not me. But until we figure this out, that our life is not our own, we're going to live frustrated, church. And you'll never get past this step. You'll never fully understand God's will for your life. Because this is the first and foremost, most important part of his will for your life, is that your life would be his. That's what he wants. But too often in the church, we have, we have bought the narrative, whether it's something we made up ourselves or something that someone has told us, we bought the narrative that this Christian life is, if you look at it like if, if I'm driving my car, and I'm driving along, and I'm in this old clunker of a car, and it barely runs, and I get, to, I get to a place where I meet Jesus, and I let Jesus come into my car. This is the salvation experience. I bring Jesus along. He gets in the passenger seat, and, and uh, as soon as he gets in, he directs me immediately to a car lot where he buys me a brand-new SUV. And we get in that SUV, and I'm driving, and he's riding with me, and he's my biggest encourager. He's my cheerleader. He's telling me, you're going to do it. You're going to make it. I'm good to you. It's going to be okay. And if I make wrong turns, he gets me back on course, and he does everything I need him to do, and he's feeding me M&Ms when I need them, peanut M&Ms, of course, because that's the best. And he is, he's doing everything I need to make sure that I live my life successfully and I get to my destination. And that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. That is, that is a gospel that people are preaching. That is not the gospel. The gospel in this book is one of when I'm pulling up and I meet Jesus and I let him in, he's coming in on the driver's side, he's pushing me over. And he's got the wheel. I sign the title over to him as soon as he gets in. He's got control of the air conditioner, the navigation, and even the radio station. That's the gospel. That's what he wants. We offer our bodies, we offer our lives as a living sacrifice. It means you're sliding over into the passenger seat. He is not your co-pilot. He is running the show, and we get to come along and be with him. And it is for his glory and his glory alone. And I'm going to suggest to you today that a lot of times we don't find God's will because we don't really want it. Because we want him to bless our will. I'm telling you, church, if we're not willing to give our lives to him, to say, Jesus, my life is yours, but we still say we want his will, we don't really want his will. We want him to bless our will. We just want, we want to bring him in to see that he can make us our lives better. We want him to come into the passenger seat and fix everything for us, but we really don't want to give him our lives. To really want his will is to want him glorified, to want his purposes accomplished in your life. And I can tell you when his purposes are being accomplished, so are yours. It's like the CEO of a company that says, listen, if you want to try to have your own little kingdom here and fulfill your purposes, you're not going to last long. But if you will work to fulfill the CEO's purposes and the vision of that company, you're going to do pretty well. The CEO would say, if I'm happy, you're going to be happy. And that's how it is in the faith. We're all about fulfilling his purpose. We have to be about our father's business, not about ours. Jesus himself said that. He said, I have to be about my father's business not our own. But we're never going to find his will for our life if we don't do that. And I think one of the things that holds us back is that we think that if we actually pursue his will for us, that he's going to make us miserable. Because that's what it means to be a Christian, is you have to live miserable, right? That, uh, you know, we're definitely not going to have any money, because, you know, the the root of all evil is money. That's That's how we twist the scriptures. It doesn't say that at all. It says the root of all evil is the love of money. But we just think, well, you know what, if I really give my life to God, he's not going to let me have any money because money's evil. He's sure not going to let me watch any sports anymore. I'm never going to get to go buy any clothes or have anything nice. I'm sure not going to be able to go to Starbucks anymore or do anything cool like that or have, have some niceties in life if I really serve him. And, it, and we know if we really love him, eventually he's going to send us to South America or Southeast Asia or Alaska or Siberia or somewhere, Right? And so we're hesitant to even want his will because we're just convinced that that's what's going to happen. 
And I would suggest to you that if that's what you think, and I think we all think that, but if you've embraced that, that you really don't know my God. Because that's not who he is. He's not about making us miserable. He's about giving us purpose. He is the only one that can really give us purpose. And you know, the only time we get miserable in God's will is when we want our own glory in his will, when we want our own way in his will. I, I can confidently say that for the last 25 years, I feel like I have been in the will of God for my life. I have understood my purpose. I haven't understood everything that's happened or every detail of everything, but I have understood my purpose for 25 years, I can say. And I haven't made every decision right. I've made plenty of mistakes along the way and gotten off the path and been in some neighborhoods that I didn't even know how I got there. But God has always brought me back. And the only time that I've been miserable in the midst of that is when I started to want my thing. When I, instead of wanting to build his kingdom, I was wanting to build my kingdom. Whether it was a financial kingdom or a relationship kingdom or a ministry kingdom, whatever it is, those are the times that I've got miserable. But we don't get miserable if we're trusting him, if we're pursuing his kingdom and letting him be at the wheel. Because you know what? Motives matter. They matter, with, they matter with us as humans, right? We care about motives when somebody does something for us. So does God. In fact, James 4.3 is a great verse. Look, look what James 4.3 says. He says, even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. James tells us here that there's aspects of the kingdom of God, there's a, and I believe the will of God, that we will not experience if our motives are wrong because God says, you want what you want for your own pleasure. And God doesn't play that way. It's not for our pleasure. Now, do we get pleasure out of it? Of course. But that can't be our motive. Our motive needs to be to honor him and glorify him. We cannot expect to be on the fringe and reap the benefits of somebody that's all in and that wants to see God glorified in their life, wants to see God's purposes fulfilled on the earth through us. That person's going to reap benefits. I believe God withholds his will from us sometimes, uh, revealing his will to us when our motives are in the wrong place. I fully believe that. Why would he reveal that to us when we're not fully committed to him? When we're not willing to let him have, get the glory, he's not going to set us up so that we can be glorified. That's the exact opposite of what he wants. It's all about him and his glory. So the second key that Paul gives us here, he says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. Now this is another tough one because the pattern of this world bombards us every day, doesn't it? The patterns of this world, in some respects, it's all we know. We're confronted with it every day. No matter where you are, no matter where you work, you're confronted with the patterns of this world, the mindset of this world. That's why Paul has to tell us here, don't conform to it. Don't do it. Resist it. He says, resist the patterns of this world. Because you know what? The patterns of this world is all about our happiness. The pattern of this world is all about humanism. Humanism is the philosophy that governs this world. And that, that, that philosophy says that life is all about the happiness of man. That's, what, that's the purpose of life. You ask somebody that doesn't have any faith in, in God, they'll say the purpose of their life is to be happy and content. And that, because that's all they know. That's all they know. If there's no God, what, that's, that's all we have to live for is try to be happy for 80 years before we die. But we in the church can sometimes fall into that too, where we believe that even in our faith, that we pursue Jesus and our faith, that even that is meant to make us happy. But it's not. We're not the star of our own movie. We're not the center of our universe. Now, the, the people out in the world, they are. Those that don't have a relationship with Jesus, they're the star of their movie because that's all they know. But we're not. We're not called to be that. We're called to give our lives to him, to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. We're not the star of the movie, but we can live that way sometimes. It's as ridiculous as if a friend of yours came to you and said, hey man, I'm in a movie. I'm the star of a new movie that's coming out. It's a big one. Chris Pratt's in it, but he's just my little sidekick, right? And so you go to this movie with your buddy, you watch the whole movie, he's not in it at all, until the very last scene, there's a scene with 200 extras, and he's one of the extras, and you can barely see him off in the side. And the movie's over, the credits roll, the lights come back up, and your buddy looks over at you and goes, pretty cool, huh? I really nailed it. I rocked it. You would laugh at him, and if you're from the north, you would rip him until he cried. Uh, we don't do that down south here. We're a little nicer. But uh, we would think it's ridiculous, right? But that's who we are in our, in our faith walk. We are not the star of our movie. You know, now, we're not some who cares extra when it comes to Jesus. 
So that, that, that part of the analogy doesn't work because he died for us. He loves us. He knows the, the innermost parts of our being. So we're not some throwaway extra for him, but we're not the star of the movie. We're not the star at all. Jesus is meant to be the star of our movie. Our life is meant to magnify him, to glorify him, to exalt him. And, and when we conform to the patterns of this world, we start to think that we are the center. But we're not really the center of our world, are we? I know I say this all the time, but I believe it with all my heart. The primary focus of the gospel is not about making our life better. It's just not. Now, is there an aspect of the gospel that our life is better because we have a sense of purpose now, because we're serving our God, the God of the universe? Of course. But it's not the primary focus to just make us, our lives, better and more palatable. It's just not. It is about bringing him glory. Jesus is about glorifying himself through us in our life. It is about making his name great. It's about the love of God being displayed in you and through you for his glory. That is what the gospel is about. You know, the, the, the chapter right before Romans 12, Romans 11, the last verse of Romans 11 that, Romans 11 that leads up to the, my verse that I read in Romans 12, look what this verse says, because Romans 12, 1, it says, therefore, so we refer back to the verse, the previous verse. Paul said in Romans eleven thirty six, it says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Such a powerful verse, and we can read over that so fast because we've heard that kind of stuff all the time, but when you think about the power of that verse, it's saying from him, through him, and to him. Every, every aspect of everything is about him, and to him be the glory forever. That's, that should be the motive. That should be the, the modus operandi of our life, that that's how we would function, that we would not conform to the patterns of the world, but that we would live our life to glorify him. Your life is about bringing him glory in whatever capacity that looks like. Whatever situation the Lord has you in in that moment, it is about bringing him glory. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomical background is. Your situation, your life is about bringing him glory. And sometimes that looks like something beautiful, a miraculous healing, or a job promotion, or a raise, or, or getting a job, or, or finding a wife, or a, a spouse, or, or having some great opportunity where it's really, really easy to praise God, where the natural reaction is just, yes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Sometimes that's how it looks. Other times, it's much more difficult. Sometimes it's losing something you care very deeply about. Sometimes it's something bad happening in our life, that we still have to praise God for. And praising God through those things, I believe God's glorified more in those than he is in the good things. Because it takes somebody that really loves God to be able to say, God, I don't understand this, but I trust you. You are worthy. I'm going to praise you in the storm. I'm going to do what Paul did in the prison where, I, where he sings hymns in the prison while he's falsely imprisoned. I'm going to praise you anyway because it doesn't matter where I am. It's all about you. That's what our life is designed to do. It's about bringing him glory in all of our situations in our life. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, he said, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You want to know the will of God? There it is. Boom. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's part of the will of God for your life. And I know you're, some, sometimes you think, well, that's not, I don't want to know about that. I know that. We want to skip over that. I want God to show me what he wants me to do with my life. Well, I want you to give thanks in all situations. That's my will. You know, there's things about God's will that's, that's for everybody. It's the same for all of us. This is one of them. Give thanks in all things. That's for every believer. It says abstain from uh, drunkenness, for this is the will of God. It says that somewhere in the Word. I can't remember exactly where, but that's, that's God's will for everybody. To, to flee from sexual immorality, that's God's will for everybody. To, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God, that's... That's God's will for everybody. We can't overlook the things of God's will that, that is the same for all of us and think, no, no, I just want God what you want me to do. I just want, this, show me where to get to that destination because I know that's where it's going to be really cool. And we have this false thinking in our head of what God's will looks like when in reality God says, no, I want you to do the things that's my will for everybody first. Amen. You honor that and I'll show you where the rest is. But we skip over that. When I say give thanks in all things, you think, well, I don't want to do that. I, that's not even possible. I can't give thanks in all things. 
Well, Paul did it, and he wrote it. Paul went through a lot more than any of us will ever go through. That's his will for us, that we would give thanks in all things. And church, I believe that God has called me to build a people, not a church, a people, that love God no matter what and are passionately in love with him and want to give their lives and live their lives for him no matter what. That is, that is if you cut me, that's what I believe. Because I believe so wholeheartedly in it. This, this thing of a, a gospel where we serve God because of what he can give us and what he can do for us, I don't believe in it. I don't believe in it. I don't think that's what's in my Bible either. I just, I feel like that's what God has called me to do, to raise up a people that will love him no matter what. Now, are there benefits to loving Jesus and we get to call on him in times of trouble? Of course. But that can't be our primary focus. We serve him because he's worthy of it. We serve him because he's God. And he came and not only we had a huge debt we could never pay, he said, that's all right, I'll pay it for you. That's enough for me. That's enough. If he never did another thing for me, he made sure I don't have to go to hell. That's enough. Now, do we get benefits on this earth? Yes, we do, and praise God for it. But that's not why I'm serving him. I'm serving him because he deserves it. He's worthy. The gospel is not about a better life, but a transformation into his likeness. That's what it is. It's about not conforming to the world, but conforming to his likeness. Uh, you, I, I heard an illustration a long time ago, years ago, from Ray Comfort. Some of you may know him. He had a wonderful evangelistic ministry. And he gave this analogy of a, of a man with a, that gets on an airplane. And then when he gets on the plane, a stewardess comes up to him and hands him a parachute. And says, hey, you're going to want to put this on. This is going to make your ride really great. You're going to love it. And it's, it's going to bring you joy and peace and happiness. You just need to put this on. It's going to make this flight so much better for you. And the guy, does, it doesn't make sense to him, but the guy says, okay. So he, he does it. He puts it on. And he notices right away this thing's bulky and, and uh, it's straining his neck. And he can feel it. And it's just not comfortable at all. But he says, well, you know, the, the lady said this, so I'll, I'll do what she says. And he sits in his chair and he realizes, you know, it's pushing him forward. He can't even recline in his chair. It's starting to hurt his lower back and his neck. And it's making him uncomfortable. After a while, he notices other passengers are staring at him and pointing and laughing at him and making fun of him. And he just doesn't get it. So after a while, he finally says, forget this. And he throws it on the floor. And he says, I'll never wear another parachute again. And he's bitter because he felt like he was lied to. And, and this parachute was misrepresented to him. So he doesn't want anything to do with it. And you compare that to a man that gets on a plane. And the stewardess walks up to him and hands him a, a parachute and says, hey, you're going to want to put this on. Because when we're at 30,000 feet, this plane's going to lose power. Now, that man put on that parachute, and he doesn't care one bit about the fact that it's straining his neck, about the fact that it's uncomfortable, about the fact that he can't recline his chair. He's not caring about the fact that other passengers are laughing at him or making fun of him. He's wearing that because he knows he's going to need it. It's all about perspective. And I, I think in the church we have done, we, we have been fed a lie or we've just chosen to believe a lie that there's this thing about our faith that if we just put Jesus on, he's going to make our life better. We're going to be happy, everything's going to be fun, and we're going to be content, and stuff's just not going to bother us. God's going to protect us from any calamity or harm. Life's just going to go good. And then you know what happens? Something bad happens in our life, and we go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jesus, no, 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 no. See, I got you on. You're on here. What's going on? And so we feel like we've been lied to, and we throw them off. We don't want anything to do with this faith. Now, those of us in this room probably aren't dealing with that. But there's lots and lots of people out there that are, that we're not told the truth about the gospel. It's not about making your life better. It's about, hey, there's a God that you're going to need in your life. You need him more than you know you need him. And it's not going to make everything perfect every day, but you're going to need him in times he's going to be there for you. And the most is when you're going to be able to call on him, he's going to be there. You may still have things happen in your life, but he's going to walk you through those things. He's going to be with you through those things. And, oh, by the way, at the end of the day, he's going to get you into heaven, too. You're going to escape the fires and the flames. And that's worth it, too. But we, in the church, I think sometimes we've just, we've just misrepresented what it really means to be a Christian. It doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect. But he's still worthy of it. He's still worthy of our life. I mean... It's, we all deal with things in life where we come to that place where we go, okay, am I going to continue to serve him even though this doesn't make sense? I don't understand this. I heard three stories this week of people that love Jesus that are going through hell right now. And you know what? You know what they're saying? I don't understand it, but I trust him. 
I don't understand it, but I trust him. But you know what? For every three of those, there's 50 of them that struggle. If something happens, they'll go, I'm done with God. I served him. I went to church. I did my thing. And he let my mom die or he let my, something tragic happen in my life. I'm done because I've been fed a lie. But that's not what real faith is. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is not conforming to this world, but conforming to him and trusting him and not trusting what we see. We're not the star of our movie, guys. We're not the star. He is. And we can trust him no matter what happens in our life. So how do we not conform to this world? Well, Paul gives us the third key here. He says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing. Don't conform, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we get renewed? Well, physically, I think we get renewed by, you know, everybody gets renewed differently. Some of you may be a week on the beach. Some of you may be a week in the mountains or in the big city or might just be a week at home with nobody in the house but you. <laughs> and all the introverts said, woohoo! But we all get renewed differently physically, but spiritually, we get renewed the same way. It's all because it's not up to us. We can't renew ourselves spiritually. Only God can renew our spirit. So we have to trust Him to renew our spirit. There is a role we play in that renewal, but the, the onus of it, the burden of it, is up to Him. He is the one that does the renewing in our lives. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. So first we must understand that we are a new creation when we are in Christ. We are brand new. His spirit is living in us. We're not doing this on our own anymore. And he can come in and renew us. He can renew that spirit in us. Our part is knowing who we are and whose we are. And staying in his word spending time with him, letting his, the seed of his word be, be planted in our heart so that it can grow. You know, as I said last week, the farmer plants the seed and it grows. He doesn't even know how it grows. It just grows because that's what it does. That's what happens spiritually in us when we're committed to God and we trust him. James 4, verses 7 and the first part of verse 8. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. That's our part in spiritual renewal and renewing our mind. It's about submitting to him, resisting the devil, and drawing near to God. And it says he will come near to you. He will renew us. And I think for so many of us, this, this whole renewal of the mind and really being able to understand or even pursue God's will in our life, that one of the biggest hurdles that we encounter in life is our past and knowing that we made mistakes and, you know, I'm probably just too far off that main road to ever be able to find my way back to, to God's will for my life. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. Don't ever let your, your past mistakes does not dictate your future. It does not dictate it. God is so full of grace. If he wanted to condemn you or keep you out of his will because of mistakes you made, he has enough ammo every hour of every day to keep you out. He doesn't need the big things you think you've done. It's all about knowing that his mercies are new every single morning. Great is his faithfulness. And we can trust him. Part of renewing our mind is changing our bad thinking. Because we have some bad thinking when it comes to the God's will, church. I had it for a long time, and man, I, I got free, and it, it changed my life. I don't have to worry about God's will for my life, because I know and I can trust that he's going to make sure that his plan for my life is accomplished if we do what Paul's telling us to do here. And I want to challenge you today and ask you, what if the will of God is more about a person than a place? See, I think we've made it a place in our mind getting to that destination on our map. But what if it's more about a person than a place? I believe it is with all my heart. I'm not saying the destination doesn't matter, but God's will for us every day is much more about a person than a place. Look at Matthew 6, 33. It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom and his, seek first him, the person, and all these things, the destination, will be given to you as well. It's more about the person than it is the place. The best analogy I can give you for that is when, uh, when Joy and I were dating 20 years ago, and I got up the nerve to ask her to marry me, and she said yes, and uh, I don't think she regrets it. 
think we've been doing pretty good for 20 years. But uh, while we were engaged, we were both living in Denver, working with a missions organization. And I was from Ohio, and she's from Georgia. So we started talking about where we're going to live. And uh, we had to determine, you know, what we were going to do. And she said, she told me, she said, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll go anywhere you want to go as long as it's Augusta. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She didn't really say that. We had a nice conversation, but she, did, she was interested in coming home for a while uh, to be with her mom. She'd been gone for a little while and really wanted to come home. So I, you know what? I didn't know anything about Augusta. I'd been in Georgia a time or two, but never really, I'd, I'd, I'd never been in Augusta. I, I, the only thing I knew about it was the Masters. And, uh, but you know what? I didn't need to do any research on whether or not I should be going to Augusta. Like, what's there? What's the weather like? What's the, what's the pollen in the spring? What are all, what's the job situation? What's the economy look like there? I didn't have to do any research. Because in my mind, I was like, well, wait a minute. She's going to be there. That's where I want to be. It was much more about her than it was this place. Now this is home, and I love it. But when it started, it, it was much more about the person than the place. And I can tell you, I've been on a lots and lots of missions trips. I don't know how many I've been on. Dozens. And I can tell you, the best ones I've ever had had nothing to do with where we went. It had all to do with the people I was with. Because that's, that's how it is in life. So how much more is it that way, even in our faith? That it's not so much about where we go, but it's about knowing that I put on Jesus. That I'm with him, and I've got him. And as long as I'm with you, Jesus, where I go doesn't really matter as much. It's not as important. I'm not saying God doesn't have places he wants us to go sometime. But, man, we can get stuck in that, can't we? Like, oh, where, do I need to be there, God? Oh, is, is, that, is that where I need to go? Almost as if, like, well, God, you're there, so that's where I want to go. But when reality, God's like, I'm, I'm here. I'm with you. I'm in you. And so it's much more important, the person than the place when it comes to the will of God. Paul understood it. Like I said before, he was in the prison, and he's singing hymns. If it's all about the place, then he would have just sit there sulking, saying, God, I can't do your will because I'm not in the right place. When in reality, the place didn't matter. God was glorified in that prison. And then secondly, I would say, what if the will of God is more about today than tomorrow? What if the will of God is more about today than tomorrow. Because when I, said the, when I said I'm preaching on the will of God, I'm sure most of our minds went to the future. What's God's will for me out there? That's just natural. What's God's will for me out there? We spend so much of our time stressing out about tomorrow, and we miss so many opportunities God has for us today. God's will for us is today, church. It's today. You're here today. His will for you is for today, not just your destination that you're trying to get to. It is for the now. It is for opportunities that he will give you today. That verse I read in Matthew 6, 33, the next one, verse 34, look what Jesus says. He said, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, amen and amen. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus has given us permission here, guys, to say, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to focus on him today. He has me in this place today. Even if it's in a job you don't want, if it's at school and you don't want to be there, if it's, if it's in, you're not loving the, the sphere of life you're in right now, his will is still for you for today. Today. Psalms tells us that this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. Today is the day of our salvation. Today we have the grace of God to live through today for today. The grace you need for tomorrow is in tomorrow. You don't have it yet, so don't worry about it. And, and here's the thing, church. I'm here to tell you, I'm living proof of this, that if we will do what Paul says to do in Romans, if we will offer our lives as a living sacrifice from our heart, really give our lives to him, saying, my life is not my own. I'm not the star of my movie. I'm with you, Jesus. If we will do that, and we will not conform to this world and be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and we focus on Jesus and putting on the person of Jesus, you cannot miss God's will for your life. I believe it all day, every day. You could never talk me out of it because I am living proof of it. I am living proof of the fact that God will get us where he wants us to go if we will give our lives to him, and we will trust him, and we will live for him. In fact, I'll tell, you a little, I'll tell you a little story about how I got to Africa. You know, uh, many of you know I spent a year in West Africa in the Sahara Desert, which I know some of you are thinking, see, you gave your life to Jesus, he sent you to the Sahara. <laughs> he did, but by the time he sent me, I was wanting to go. 
In fact, we had a meeting one day with all of our staff. I don't know, we probably had 85, 100 staff or so. And, and a, couple of our sta- a couple from our staff stood up and announced that they were starting a, a ministry in West Africa and that anybody in our staff that wanted to go could go with them. And when they announced it, my heart jumped. I said, Lord, let me go. Let me go. I want to go. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing myself think. But I, after the meeting, I went up to them and I said, hey, I want to go. And they said, well, okay. But I, they said, you know, we're not leaving for like, I think it was a year. They said, you know, take some time, pray about it. Come back to us in a few weeks after you prayed. I said, okay. So I went home that night and I was praying. I said, Lord, tell me to go. I'm just looking for you. And I'm holding my Bible open. I'm like, come on, Lord, something in Africa, something about Africa. And uh, the Lord did speak to me, spoke to my heart. I heard it plain as day. He said, I want you to fast for 21 days, for three weeks. And up to that point, I think the longest I'd fasted was probably a meal. I was 21, I think. And I said, oh, Lord, <laughs> no, no, no. I don't want to hear from the devil. I want to hear from Jesus because there's no way he would make me not eat for three weeks. So anyway, I said, well, God, if this is what you want me to do, you got to confirm it. And I need to know that I know because for me to go three weeks without food, I, mm. so I didn't tell a soul. I was alone in my room praying. The next day, hand to God, this actually happened. I went to work the next day and we were, I was in there at the base and, and uh, this was before cell phones, but I got a call at the office and they said it over the PA system that I had a phone call. So I went in one of the other offices and grabbed the phone, I got it. And it was this girl that I knew, but I hadn't talked to in at least a year, probably a year and a half. She'd been there at YWAM, but she had left and gone back home to Canada. And I completely lost touch with her because we didn't have cell phones, so it was easy to lose touch. And uh, she called me and I was like, I said, oh wow, it's good to hear from you, how you doing? And I could tell she was in a kind of a somber mood. And I said, what's going on? She said, well, she said, I really hesitate to tell you this, but she said, I was praying this morning and the Lord just put you on my heart for some reason. I started praying for you, and I promise you, I don't, I don't know if this is from God or not. If it's not, you just disregard it, but I feel like he told me to tell you you're supposed to fast for three weeks. <laughs> I said, well, okay, that's not bad, but that's not enough confirmation. I need more. And so I said, okay, God, I'll do it. And so I did it, and I fasted for three weeks, and it was tough. And uh, you know, I, I just knew God was going to speak to me. And, you know, at this point, I was like, man, for God to confirm it like that, this is going to be huge. Like, man, when God speaks to me, the heavens are going to open. It's going to be this incredible thing. I, I'm probably going to start a denomination out of this. It's going to be so amazing, you know. This will be when the Church of Reagan started, you know. <laughs> and uh, on the 20th day, God spoke to my heart. I was in my room praying. I was frustrated and mad because I was hungry. And... Uh, God spoke to my heart. You know what he said? It wasn't anything glorious. It wasn't, oh, thus saith the Lord, you're going to go to Africa and Muslims are going to be bowing the knee to Jesus and people are going to be getting saved and healed and delivered and set free and revival is going to break out in West Africa because of your faithfulness, Reagan. He didn't say any of that. You know what he said? He said, son, if you want to go to Africa, I'll go with you. That's all he said. I mean, it was very (laughs) non-majestic. But I knew it was him. And you know what? That's all I needed. I said, well, then God, I'm going. Here I go. And I went. And I was there for a year. It was one of the most difficult years of my life, but it was also very rewarding. I grew a lot. I learned, I learned things about the character of God that, I've, that blew me away. And I experienced his faithfulness in miraculous, wonderful ways. But you know what? I also believe with all my heart that if I didn't go, that I would still be right here today. Because it's not about a place. It's about a person. I was dedicated to Jesus, and he actually, I feel like he gave me permission. He almost, it's almost like he said, like, it's up to you, buddy. You want to go? I'll go with you. Now, that's not to say he doesn't sometimes say, yes, this is, boom, this is the plan I have for you. I mean, he speaks very clearly sometimes, but you know what? We get so fixated on that, we miss so much of what God wants for us. I would have been just as content if he had said no to stay in Denver, and I'd enjoyed the air conditioning. It would have been really nice. Because it's not about tomorrow, and it's not about a place. It's about a person, and it's about today. That's God's will for your life and for mine. And you pursue that, he'll make the rest clear to you. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. I just want you to pray. Just receive this prayer, church. And however that looks for you, to receive it. If it means holding your hands up high, or just holding them out, or closing your eyes, or bowing your head, whatever it is, let's just respond. We can't come to the altar, but we, we can respond in our seats. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we love you today. God, we are your people. 
And Lord, we want your will for our life so that your purpose can be accomplished through us and in us, that we would be transformed into your likeness, Jesus. Lord, we, we repent for where we had wanted our will, where, he, where we have conformed to the patterns of this world, to where we have allowed ourselves to believe the lie that our faith in you is about making our life happier. When, Lord, we know that you're worthy of our lives, you're worthy of us offering our lives as a living sacrifice because of who you are, not for what you can do for us. And, Lord, we want you to bring us back to that place, Lord, where we have strayed away. Would you bring us back to just wanting to be with you? We love you, Jesus. We love you so much, Jesus. Would you let your will be done in our lives? Let your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives and through our lives, Lord. Help us, God, to make the most of every opportunity that you give us today. Not to just always looking towards tomorrow, but today. I believe you're going to give us opportunities today, this day, to share your love. Thank you, Lord. God, you're so good. You're so faithful. Would you be glorified in our lives, Lord? Glorified in each one of our lives, God. Lord, strip away those things that are in us that just want us to be the star of our show. Strip it away, Lord. Whatever pride is keeping us from really being able to give ourselves to you, God, would you strip it away? Let this seed be planted in good soil. Let our hearts be good soil that it will produce fruit in our lives for your kingdom and for your glory. And we give you all the praise and the honor and the worship and the glory for it all, God. You're the only one that deserves it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And the church said, amen, amen. Can we give God praise this morning? Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. He's good, church. He's a good God. He's worthy of our lives. You will not miss God's will if you practice this. I believe it with all my heart. There's no reason I should be standing here today, uh, not of my own accord, by any means. This is all God, and I'm thankful for it.